Welcome to the Wedding Film Academy podcast, your go-to source for learning to create stunning wedding films and run a successful business. Here's your host, Lumix Luminary and wedding filmmaker, Jordan Bunch. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Wedding Film Academy. I uh, we're, we're starting a new, a new uh, series, and that's always exciting, but this series... Specifically, I think is super important. Oops. Uh, I said series, and Siri thinks that I'm talking to her, so I don't know how to turn that off. But yeah, that's probably what you just heard in the background there. <laughs> Always something fun to happen. That, you know, that's actually the second time that she who shall not be named has interrupted my podcast. I actually did it last week while I was doing the pub chat with Adam. So, so second time's the charm. Um, yeah, but we're starting this new series on editing workflows, which is obviously incredibly important to what we do. It's probably what we spend the vast majority of our time on. And so that's why I wanted to do this fairly, uh, fairly early on in the podcast. And I was telling Sarah this the other day, but I feel like to me, there is no one that I know who is telling better stories than Rick and Sarah. And a huge part of how they're doing that is through the edit. And so I wanted to talk to them about that. So uh, with us, we have Rick and Sarah Pendergraf from Pen Weddings. Thanks for coming on, guys. So we are going to dive right into the topic. So talk to me, you know, the first thing, of course, and, and probably the most important thing that we do as wedding filmmakers is our backup workflow. There's probably nothing more important besides hitting record, maybe, uh, that we do besides our backup workflow. And I think for a lot of us, I would imagine that there are a lot of people out there who don't feel the same way, don't feel that that's one of the most important things and maybe don't have a good backup setup and have likely lost some footage because of that. I was listening to a podcast. I could be attributing this to the wrong person, so I apologize if I am, but I believe it was Brian Caparici who said that you don't lose footage on accident. You lose footage on purpose. And basically what he was saying with that is, if you don't have a really great backup workflow, then it's your fault that you lost the footage. Now, I know there's sometimes where you your footage gets corrupted or whatever, and maybe your camera doesn't have two backups, uh, two card slots. Um, but I think his point is well-received. So talk to me about what you guys do in backing up your footage. Yeah, when we get home, it goes on the portable hard drive, um, and gets dumped on backup drives in a Drobo. Um, so we edit mostly off the portable hard drives, um, but it's backed up on the Drobo, which then is also backed up in the cloud using Backblaze. Okay. Um, which has saved us before. Many years ago, before we had the Drobo, we had a different hard drive array, which I will not name, but it went ballistic. Um, basically, I had everything backed up on multiple hard drives, within the same enclosure hmm. and had just started using backblaze um 
and something happened where the hard drive essentially thought it was like losing connection and then gaining it again and then losing it and gaining it. And so like, you know how Mac computers really scream at you if you improperly eject a hard drive and it thought that's what was happening over and over. This has been improperly ejected. Oh, now it's plugged in again. Now it's ejected. And I wasn't even there when it was happening to stop it. And it ended up corrupting, um, two of the five hard drives within the, uh, within the enclosure and most of the weddings were spread out across different hard drives to where it wasn't an issue, but we had two weddings that were backed up on the two drives that crashed. Oh, they got corrupted. And that was before we were using the portable hard drives. Right. And I was like, Oh, well, thank goodness. We just started using backblaze. Um, yeah. So seriously. I've got the service now where I can recover everything. And I went to recover. And because I just started using it and was backing up terabytes worth of footage, um, I was able to recover everything except for like the eight longest, you know, largest clips of mm. each wedding, which of course would be the toast and the ceremony. Oh. So uh, through much hard work over the course of two weeks, we were able to recover everything. But yeah, oh, we wow. have Thank been goodness. in one of those positions where even with backups, we uh, were like, okay, time to figure out a new system. So yeah, now everything is on portable hard drive and backed up on hard drives within a Drovo uh, and backed up on Backblaze. So we've got, we try to put it several places. That was the worst two weeks of my professional career. I can imagine. I because I had my, you know, I was still doing the full-time job. So I'd come home at night and go, so did you get any files back? And she's like, no. Next day it'd be like, well, I can find them, but they won't open. And then she was like, I took them to Geek Squad and they told me there wasn't anything on them. And I told them there was. And I said, just give me my stuff. I'm going to take it back. I know it's there. And then finally, after a process of three different steps. Yeah, so three different programs. Yeah, Sarah was able to, to get everything back. And that the day that she was like, Yes, I got it. It was just like a major lift, <laughs> yeah. a weight off my shoulders. I felt so bad that that uh, we had lost it, and it was just to be able to see her not be stressed out. So, so for that person right now who's out there listening, and they're hearing your story, and they're like, "Oh my gosh, I lost my footage too, and I can't find it." What What was the end up? Um, I mean, what was the final solution for you? Um. So I recovered the files with Data Rescue. Um, and which it took, I mean, it like searched these hard drives, which they were large hard, large hard drives. So it's search process, it's deep scan process took like a couple days. Um, it found the files, but they were corrupt. And so then I repaired the files using a tool. Um, I feel bad because I can't, it's like some German or something like G-A-R-U or I forget what it is. Um, it's really this crazy random program and I can pull it up and find it. And for a way we can share it. Cause I feel bad that I can't think of it off the top of my head. It's a weird name, That's okay. but it, um, it basically, you give it a, you give it a source clip from the same camera. So it has something to compare the corrupted clip to. Oh, that's interesting. It knows this is a good clip from this camera. This is the corrupt clip from this camera. And that's how it does the repair process. So that was able to repair them. But then, um, even though I got them repaired at that point, Premiere Pro still wouldn't recognize them. So then I ran them through Moye Video Converter and just converted them. I mean, did the exact same thing, an MP4 to an MP4, MOV to MOV. I didn't change what it was, but I just ran it through the converter and then Premiere would read it. 
Interesting. So Data Rescue found it, this weird European G-A-R-U or G-R-A-U or whatever video. It's just called like video repair tool. Okay. Like if you just Google video repair tool, repaired it, and then Moye Video Converter converted it to where Premiere would wow. see it. So yeah, it was well done, a lot of Sarah. Well done. <laughs> that is yeah, that's that's thinking outside the box. You are beyond Geek Squad level now. They are uh, man, no, yeah, that dimension. was the worst part of it. They said there was nothing on the drives. I took them the hard drives. They're like, there's nothing here. I was like, Yes, there is. I've already found it. I just need to see if you can find these three files, these particular files that I'm missing. Yeah. They're like, No, there's nothing here. I'm like, dude. Yeah. I swear there is. But yeah, that was, oh, that was not a Geek Squad. <laughs> awesome. Well, since we're starting out the series, I'll just like briefly share my backup workflow as well. And that's the only part of it I'm going to show. I'm not going to do it on every series here, but basically what I do is I have a, I have a working drive and then I have two drives that are raid, uh, raid one, uh, but they back up two exact drives together. So I put it on my working drive, then I throw it onto my massive drive which is much slower it's like a 32 terabyte drive or something stupid like that and then it backs up through carbon copy cloner i think is what the name of it to an exact duplicate sitting right next to it and then it also goes on a portable drive because i send off my first round of edits to uh to my editor who's here locally um, and works full-time with us but he kind of makes a first cut for me on this portable drive. So he has one copy and then I have three copies here locally before it gets off of the SD cards. I do not have a cloud backup solution at this point. Um, I'm looking forward to, and <clears throat> probably in like a week or two, we're actually moving into an office offsite. Right now I'm in my home. Um, but at that point I will have my own cloud in, in the fact of like kind of being in two different locations. Um, but I'm looking forward to that time. But right now we do have four backups and one is technically off site as long as it's with my editor. Um, but then it comes back to me where I finish the edit. So yeah. that's kind yeah, of, we love having the cloud backup. It's, it's a nice little extra bit of security. Uh, Backblaze has been great and it's crazy cheap for unlimited storage. So yeah. Awesome. I'll definitely have to check that out as well. Awesome. Well, now that we got that part out of the way, the boring part, but also the super important part, I want to talk to you about the edit workflow. So you've got everything backed up. Now talk to me through through your whole editing workflow. Like start with like organization of clips right on through, you know, you're making the final products. Do you do the first yeah, part? Uh, that's kind of my job. I, I take all the footage that we have and I go, you know, clip by clip and cut out movement, cut out shakiness, cut out whatever I don't think works well, and uh, organize it on, on different timelines throughout the project, whether it be beauty of, you know, just the town. Like, we know we were in Austin last week, you know, different shots of, of Austin, the lake, you know, the bats, because we did a little bat tour, <laughs> and, um, you know, whatever aerials we, we did that goes on a separate timeline, um, preps, getting ready. You know, Sarah has, you know, most of the girls' preps, um, and I'll put all that down on a timeline. Then I'll put my guys' preps down. And if I happen to have any girls' preps, then I'll go back and it won't leave as big a gap for um, the girls' preps to the guys' preps that I do for my girls' preps to her girls' preps, if that makes any sense. 
Gap um, as in a literal gap yeah, on the timeline. Like on the timeline, I'll just leave some space. So um, when it's time for Sarah to have it for the creative edit, she can just look at the timeline and go, I have this much girls prep, I have this much guys prep, I have okay. this much just, you know, getting ready. Uh, you know, if you shoot some prep of uh, the reception hall being put together, you know, that kind of thing. So basically it's just, that's the process. You know, I just take every single clip. I look over everything, um, whether it be uh, a mispunch of just walking uh, early, early on, I had a problem with hitting the record button and walking around. So, um, a whole lot of, a whole lot of, uh, Sarah's messing, uh, mouthing there. She says all the time. (laughs) Every wedding I was like, how many times did you walk with the camera rolling? Uh, but that doesn't happen uh, much anymore. So I'm Cause you're the one who has to go through that now. Yeah, I, yeah. I, yeah, exactly. So I'm more conscious of whether or not I'm rolling while I'm walking. Um, but yeah, I, I see every single clip that, uh, that we shot that day and it's somewhere around how many gigabytes you usually. We, it depends on whether it's a multi-day event, whether they do rehearsal dinner coverage, but we're usually anywhere from 180 to 300 gigs of footage. Yeah. Um, excuse me. The we had two weddings recently where we shot for multiple days. Um, one like one, two, three, four, four, five days. Yeah. Um, that was between five and six hundred gigs. So yeah, and that's all ten eighty. That's not four K. So if you imagine that amount of footage in ten eighty, um, yeah, we we shoot a lot. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Which I told a lot of people, you know, at our wedding film retreats, we had this past few months that that really helped me um mature and and grow as a filmmaker just because i was able to see because before i would just go shoot with sarah before i was full time with her right and then i never saw the clips again until the finished product basically and so being able to see what i had shot and uh see some mistakes that i'd made or see some framing that i didn't like um i was able to improve quite a bit and really helped me understand what you know, your creative editor needs in terms of composition shots, how long to hold things, you know, just different things like that. So that was a, a really awesome thing to be able to, to be able to do. Absolutely. If you're not editing your own stuff, then you can't, you're, you're likely not going to improve as a camera operator, you know, because it's just like you said, you know, you might see the final products and, you know, you did see all the final products, but you didn't see all the areas where you screwed up that it was so bad. It didn't make it into the final product. Right. You know, exactly. And, and now I can hide my mistakes. I just don't, I just don't let them get on the timeline. So she doesn't see them anymore. <laughs> uh, that's no, awesome. I usually know they happen though. Cause that's, I think the first few weddings that he, um, did the doc edit on once I started getting him into our workflow when he, um, joined me full time. I would, we're in separate rooms. We're working in separate rooms. And all of a sudden I would just hear him yell from across the house. And I'd come in, I'd be like, what's wrong? He's like, I can't believe I didn't hold that shot longer. I get it. I get why you were mad at me now. I get why you told me I need to get better at shooting this a certain way or whatever. He's like, all right, all right. I'm with you now. I was like, okay. But I'd hear the yelling and I'd think, man, something huge had happened. He's like, no, I'm just mad at myself. I'm like, all right. Yeah, who hasn't yelled behind the computer at their own footage, right? (laughs) What'd you say, Jordan? (laughs) I said, who hasn't yelled at themselves? Yeah. This is true. Yeah. So once I do all that, um, you know, putting everything on a certain timeline, then I sync up the ceremony and the first dances, the the toast and all that kind of stuff, and go through and just kind of trim them down as much as possible, um, and then do the doc edits on, on the ceremony and 
put it all together and then hand it off, hand it off to Sarah and she makes the magic. Awesome. So yeah, at that point I start working on the creative edit, um, whether it be highlight, short film, feature film. Um, we, we have three different creative edit links we offer. Okay. Um, and I know everyone defines everything differently. Right. I've seen other people, their feature film is our highlight by length. Um, so yeah, our highlights four to eight minutes. Our short film is 10 to 14 and our feature is 16 to 20. So those are so, broad, like those are broad specs, especially the highlight four to eight minutes. It's like, mm-hmm. is it, that's what you tell your clients. You get either four minutes or, you know, maybe up to eight. It's just kind of completely to be, up to your discretion. Yes, it is up to our discretion. I do like to leave it broad, partly because it depends on how much footage we walk away with. Sure. Um, but also one of our things is um, always trying to, you know, the whole under-promise, over-deliver, you know, be the hero, let people get, you know, feel like they're really getting their money's worth, which obviously we want them to truly be getting their money's worth. But if you say uh, six to eight minutes and then you deliver a, you know, right on the nose, six minute film, people feel like they're getting the bare minimum. Right. Um, we, I can't remember the last time we did one that was four minutes. We say four to eight, but it's almost always six to eight. Gotcha. Uh, there are times when it's shorter, but that's usually if they do a highlight as an add on. Okay. To a longer, like if they get the feature film, but they want the highlight to go on Facebook or whatever. Um, then because they're getting two creative edits, one much longer. We'll keep the highlight shorter, but yeah, we make it broad. So we have some room to work with. Um, obviously audio is a big part of that. Whether we walk away with a lot of story, a lot of audio or not plays a big role in how long we think a highlight should be. Sure. Um, or film in general. And so at that point, it really, the, the process depends a lot on the audio we have and how much footage we have. We have some weddings where, it's an eight hour day. We got, you know, we know the one like little story we want to tell. We, they didn't do a ton of toast. Um, didn't have like really long personal vows. You know, it's not like we have a ton of stuff to call through. Um, if, if I'm able to find a song quickly and edit like that, I can do in a, in a couple of days. Um, but I've had edits where I've spent, you know, an entire week just because I, it's hard finding the right music. Or we have two hours worth of toast to go through. Um, so the more content you have, obviously the more you have to play with, but also the longer it takes. So we settle in for a while, or at least I settle in for a while when I'm doing the creative edits um, and spend quite a bit of time on them, quite a bit of time working on those and finalizing them. And and like you said, uh, I think before we actually started the podcast, the knowing when to stop yeah knowing when to say okay it's time to stop tweaking this it's done it looks good um but yeah it's once he hands it off to me then it's time to do the creative edit and then we just clean up the doc edit and then we're done okay talk to me about like define these things for me because like you said these things are defined really differently from others so especially i think the doc edit is one that is um there's a huge spectrum of what the doc edit looks like and it's not necessarily even dependent on the quality of the the filmmaker, but sometimes they're just like defining that as something completely different. I've seen some where the doc edit is, that's your ceremony video. And it's, you know, it's two to three cameras, um, you know, put together basically as if you're watching it live um, from these different camera angles. And it's just a ceremony. That's what the doc edit is. And for somebody else, 
a doc edit is a 90 minute feature length documentary. So talk to me about what your doc edit is and what that looks like through the editing process. That's we, we basically have, we, we deliver um, the ceremony, the toasts and the first dances in full, basically just how they happened cut between cameras. The so, first option you mentioned. Yeah. The first option right. that you mentioned. So like for the ceremony, it's its own chapter on the DVD uh, or USB or USB or Metazilla yeah. or whatever, but it's it's you know a five camera cut between five cameras of how your ceremony from the time the first person walked in the grandma or whatever until the last person walks out and right. just you know I cut between those five cameras throughout and then on the same thing with the first dance um, we usually run about we usually run three cameras during the first dance. Uh, and parent dances, so I'm cutting between those, um, and then with the toasts, sometimes we're running three cameras, sometimes we run just two, just depending on the size of the venue that we're in, if there's enough space to be able to just plot them on some, some tri- you know, put them on some tripods, and then have a camera that kind of roams around and gets reactions, that kind of thing, and I, I cut through all that, and um, it's kind of a secret, so don't tell any of our couples, but we also uh, deliver uh, uh, cake cutting and garter toss. That okay. kind of stuff. Yeah. So yeah. those are all separate chapters, you know, on their deliverable um, media. Gotcha. So that's how that's how our doc edits are defined. So it's not. Yeah. There's no like, like you said, for a lot of people, it's an additional edit of everything that happened in the day, or it's like cleaned up raw footage. With us, it's those those events as listed, start to finish, but no like no added music, no or, extra preps yeah. footage, no extra party footage. You know that. That stuff, it's it is what it is in the creative edit, and that's it. And if they want to see the rest of that, then they can actually buy raw footage. Right. Um, and that's in our in our doc edits do get color graded, um, yeah. so they look a little nicer than just what it comes out of the camera. Right. Okay. And are you throwing like B roll in between those things, or is it just like straight up, you know, like in between the transition from like ceremony to first dance? Is there any B roll in there, or is it just straight like into ceremony? Start first dance. They're each their own separate chapter, like own separate okay. gotcha. element. Like so, if it's the USB, it's a separate. Here's your ceremony. You can um, okay. We use MediaZilla and use the menus in there. So I mean, if you're to pull up that menu from MediaZilla, whether you're pulling it up online or on USB or on disc, um, you've got your creative edit, whatever creative edit you pick. You've got your full ceremony. You've got your to- your full toast, your full first dance, and they are each separate chapters or separate elements gotcha so it's not even yeah there's no b-roll in between but they're not edited back to back you know when your ceremony ends it ends you go back to the menu then you can go watch your toast okay yeah that makes perfect sense yeah for sure i'm still in the process of like i wish i could use mediazilla but too many of my wedding almost all my weddings are in 4k and mediazilla doesn't support 4k yet so mediazilla if you're out there listening please offer 4k because i would love to pay you on a regular basis, lots of money, but I can't because you don't offer 4K. So, no, that's awesome. Uh, okay, so here's one thing that I really struggle with, and as I talk to other wedding filmmakers, they struggle with is you can edit a wedding film, particularly the highlight, forever. Like you could, you could endlessly edit this thing. Because there's always something that could be improved. The color could always be a little bit better. You know, a tra- one transition could always be better. You know, you could always sync it to the music a little bit better. Your audio could be a little bit cleaner. There's, you know, you can do this indefinitely. 
But if you do this indefinitely, you will never make any money at this, right? Um, and you'll have lots of clients who are very mad at you because they don't have their video yet. So talk to me through like, you know, you've got, you've got kind of like your first rough cut of the, the highlight film. Let's talk specifically highlight film. So you've got your first cut of that and you think, you know, you've got the story the way that you want it and it's looking pretty good. And then where do you go from there to, I'm clicking the send button to send this off to my client. And, and how do you know when to quit? Uh, no, I guess part of it for me would just be um, knowing you've got to move on to someone else. But yeah. I think I don't get to that point too bad at the end. But I think that's because of how much time I spend editing to begin with. Um, okay. The only thing is, I will say color grading is one of those things I'll go back and go, dang it, that shot's a little too blue. Oh, that shot's a little, like, oh, you know, I'll watch something after I exported it. Right. Want to tweak, you know, coloring on a certain shot. So, um, color grading is one of those things where I could easily waste too much time constantly changing a shot, tweaking shots, trying to make stuff match better. Um, but when I'm in the editing process, I am thinking things through a ton I will sit and I'll, I'll put down like certain things that I know where I want them to go, like the bride's entrance and a certain toast and the first look. I'll have certain things that I know where they're going to fit in the song. So I'll put them down and then I'll watch through this, you know, unfinished highlight three times thinking about where certain shots are going to go. And I'll do that each step of the process. I'll make certain edits. I'll do another part of the video and then think, okay, well, wait. What's this part going to feel like? And I mull over everything so much, which I know is why it takes me a while to do an edit. Um, but I think because of that, once I get to the end, it really is outside of the color grading. I'm not like, oh, well, I want to change this. Oh, well, I want to move this here. Um, I think the only exception to that is we do put in a certain amount of effort to try to make sure um, at least parents and grandparents uh, have a good shot, you know, somewhere in the film that it's not just in a wide shot. Um, I know that isn't a concern for everyone. It's like, you know what, I'm here to showcase the couple and that's it. And if that's the way other people work, that's great. I mean, part of me kind of wishes we could just not worry about it, but we know family's important. We've been on the receiving end of on our own wedding of stuff that was lacking in family and being like, um, groom's mom kind of matters. Yeah. So, so we know how that feels and we're always trying to make an effort to do that. So there have been times where I've finished an edit and been like, Oh crud, I forgot to make sure I got, you know, this grandparent in there and I've gone back and changed like one shot. Um, but outside of that, it's color grading is really the only thing where I have to tell myself, stop. Yeah. It's, it's time to get this out there. Uh, but I think that's just because I'm I'm so um, slow in the process of doing it. And I say it sounds bad, but I'm just so intentional. So like every little thing, thinking through every edit in the process, that once I get the pieces in place, I really don't go back and question where things are. But that's just because I'm incredibly OCD right. <laughs> particular during the editing process. Yep. 
I wanted to take a quick break here in the middle of the show to tell you about a new way that I'm saving thousands of dollars a year on music licensing. First of all, if you're new to making wedding films, you should know that you can't just pay 99 cents to iTunes and use that in your videos online. It's against the law. And you could face a heavy fine or even jail time. Yikes! So, until now, you've had to pay somewhere between $10 to $50 per song on average to get good music for your wedding films legally. And then, if you want to use that same song in a different video, you have to pony up the cash again. For some of you, this means paying well north of $5,000 a year in music licensing fees. So, what if you could get unlimited, amazing licensed music for your wedding films for only $135 a year. This is amazing. I used to spend that much just on one video. If you want to learn more, go to soundstripe.com or click the link on our website. And now, Soundstripe is offering 10% off to our listeners with the code WFA10. So again, go to soundstripe.com and use WFA10 to get 10% off of your full year of fantastic licensed music for your videos today. Not only that, but when you use code WFA10 at checkout, your purchase helps support the Wedding Film Academy to keep bringing you amazing free content to help you make better wedding films and run a more successful business. Okay, so I'm thinking about two things that I have. Um, I'll ask, I'll ask one at a time here. So it's because they're completely different from each other. <laughs> but, but first is since we're talking about just, you know, hitting that send button on average, how long is it taking you from the time the, you know, you filmed the wedding to deliverable? Um, part of it just depends on our workload at the time, like how much we're shooting. If we're traveling for destination sure. weddings that eats into it, but yeah, for sure. Um, I would say our average is a month. Okay, nice. Um, now, if someone gets like a feature film, they get an additional like two creative edits. That's going to add to it. That's it's going to take longer for us to get everything out to them. Um, but our latest right. weddings, we've been getting like their highlight film up in a month. It might be two months before we get their package mailed out, just because. Um, admittedly, once I get that highlight posted or that short film posted, then. I am moving on to the next creative edit and go and sending it back to him to then color grade the doc edit and do some final tweaks before like the full package um, goes yep. out, you know, goes in the mail. Uh, but we're trying to keep it now that when it was just me, I hit close to six months a lot. Now that was not, I still got highlights up usually a month to two months, but in terms of getting everything out, I did, you know, come right down to the wire. Our contract is, we say within six months. Um, but with Rick helping me now on the doc edits, we're trying to, you know, get everything out the door within a month to two months of the wedding. Gotcha. Awesome. Okay. So the second question is talk to me about color. I think you guys have a, y'all have a very specific look, you know, you have, um, I think kind of, to me, it's uh, there's there's a very uh, a warmness to all of your films with the color. You're not for for me like white has to be white. I'm just like anal about white has to be white. But for y'all, y'all are much more going after like the warm the warmer tones. Um, talk to me about what the color grading process looks like for you. Um, 
it's funny to hear you say we have a specific look because we've been joking about how we had we had found our happy place when we were shooting Canon, and now that we're on Sony, I'm still like trying to find my total happy place with coloring. Um, I, right. I love the cameras. I love everything about them. Uh, I do kind of miss Canon skin tones. Um, so I'm still trying to find my happy place with grading Sony footage. Um, but we use a combination of film convert and magic bullet looks. And um, we feel like we're getting a lot closer to where we want to be. And I get what you're saying about the whites. I do still um, play with my curves a little more now to try to keep the whites more white while having the warmth in the image. But yeah, we do love warm, um, you know, warm, bright, happy um, tones. I think it just fits with our style. Um, we, as much as I love the footage I see out there of people who have like the really dark moody looks going on. I know that's just not us. I watch it and I'm like, Oh my gosh, I love that. But we know that's not us. That's not our right. style. That's not um, the couples yep. who hire us. So I have to be careful to not like sit down and be like, Oh, I want to do that. That dark moody. That looks so cool. It's like, Nope, we're warm yeah. or bright. Um, but yeah, we, um, the main thing is film convert and magic bullet looks uh, picking out it, it's totally subjective picking out the film settings you like within film convert and in magic bullet we have a few things we use to help tweak colors and stuff but we're not um we're not doing anything super heavy we don't like use any heavy LUTs or anything and i know with LUTs you can control the um you know how strong they are too you can control the strength of them but yeah we're not doing too much heavy grading to our work um you know, we want it to have that look that it's been color graded to some extent, but we still want it to feel natural and clean. So, you know, 10 years from now, 20 years from now, it's not one of those things you look back on and it's like, you know, whoa, that's, that's so, you know, 2017 or that's so whatever. Cause believe me, when we first got our hands on magic bullet looks many, many, many years ago, yeah. We were very guilty of, well, I say we, I, I, I do all the color grading. So Sarah, I, <laughs> I was guilty of, um, you know, doing some of the heavy effects, the, the glowy looking stuff. And, you know, cause you get this new software and it's like, look at all this stuff that it'll do. How cool is that? And I look back at maybe the three films where I did that. It didn't take long for me to see like, oh my gosh, this is going to be so dated. This is just going to look, you know. Forget ten years. Was it like uh, was it like very Instagrammy or what was it? Kinda. It was okay. Do you remember? I don't know how many people will remember this app. I, I and this was before we even used Instagram. It was out there, but we weren't cool enough to be using it. Do you remember the best camera app? And the whole oh yeah yeah okay yep. And the best camera app had some pretty funky stuff that that you could do. And you know the whole thing behind the theory behind it was the best camera is the one you have with you. So you take your iPhone pictures, you apply one of these filters from best camera, whatever, but they had some yep. pretty heavy things, whether it be a glow or a vignette or whatever. And, and I feel like I kind of, for a few weddings, even before best cam app, but a few weddings really early on did that where it was just overly saturated and had that kind of, uh, that kind of glow to the footage that, um, what's the TV show? <laughs> Dang it. CSI. No, Miami. not CSI. No, it wasn't the CSI Miami look. Although there was a specific effect in, uh, 
there was a preset that was made for that. It was called like Beach something, and it was meant to mimic CSI Miami. Cold Case, the opening to Cold Case. <laughs> Everybody's got this glow around them, and and I admit there were a few weddings where we did kind of the glow thing, and I was like, I did the glow thing, and realized really fast that's that's going to be super dated. So. Um, I try hard to stay away from anything too drastic, no matter how cool I think it looks. Um, one of the things that is most important to us with weddings, um, I think com- corporate's a whole other beast, but with weddings where you're creating an heirloom for someone that, you know, that they're yep. going to want to look back on, I I really want to try to keep them as timeless as possible. I, I want to stay current. I want to do fresh work, but I also want it to be timeless. I don't want it to be something where people pull out their, their wedding album and in five years or 10 years or whatever. And it's just like, Oh my gosh, what were we thinking? Yep. For sure. No, I had a, reminds me, I had a guest on early on in the, in the podcast, Clint Brock, who basically was saying like, I want to chase after those color looks, but I realized that if I go down that road, I'm going to be in this constant state of redoing my portfolio because in two years, you know, right now, maybe it's the, you know, that really dark, moody look that everybody wants. But in two years, is everybody still going to want that? You know, maybe, maybe they will. Maybe it's going to be like the new classic thing. But, uh, you know, usually those things that kind of go on the extreme ends of anything are fads, you know. And so you're saying, if I go down that road that I want to go down, I realized that in two years, I'm going to have to recreate my whole portfolio because nobody's going to want that look anymore. Yeah. We, and so we talked about that you in know. the wedding film retreat too. Is like you, you, if you follow all the trends, you're going to have to reinvent yourself every so often. We had one of the one of our attendees came up to me. It's like you know, Sarah's so right. I mean, I, I find myself every year or so chasing another trend and trying to look like everybody else. And if I can just make my own um, my own style you know, and stick with it, then I don't have to keep learning something. Well, I mean, we all have to learn new things, but, you know, don't always have to be the next, I don't know, slow-mo person or the next aerial person, you know, it's just, right. if, you're, if you're consistent, then you're, you're always consistent. And I know we're kind yeah, of getting sure. off of color grading here, but it, I mean, it is, yeah, if you, it's one thing to incorporate new things into your work, to stay <laughs> fresh, to stay current. It's another thing to, you know, go all or nothing, which our industry has a tendency to do. I mean, it's like, you know, one minute, every video is like 90% slider shots. And the next minute people are like, I don't take sliders to weddings anymore at all. Oh, but then everything is a drone shot. And then it's stopped doing drone shots. And then it's the heavy color grading, the, um, you know, the, the kind, there's one right now that's really popular meant to emulate film where it's like, you know, your greens are really blue, your grass, your trees, everything's really blue, but skin tones are just so orange, like majorly mm. orange. And sometimes it's I see It's because that. of our new president, right? <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that like the new fad? Like the Donald Trump grade? The orange skin tones? <laughs> yeah. Well, in terms of color grading, it pretty much is, which is <laughs> ironic. Um, but yeah, it's like, you know, you look at it and you get that it, that it's cool and trendy, but I'm also like, man, that's that's really, I mean that doesn't look natural, that that skin looks really weird and I can't quite bring myself to do it. And, um, and when it comes to anything that's a fad, um, we kind of made the point of like photography with selective color, you know, Oh yeah. Selective color was huge when it first came out. (laughs) Yeah, it was. So cool, man. How did you make that image? You know, 
black and white yeah. and just the roses are red. I mean, that's that's so awesome. And so, you know, those things, when they happen, yeah, they're incredibly amazing. And people are going to gush over you figuring out how to do whatever this fad is. But give it a year or two years or five years or whatever. And at some point, people are going to be laughing at it. Um, yep. And I, I really don't want to produce work that gets laughed at. 10 yep. years down the road or five years down the road or two years down the road. So it can be hard sometimes when you see trends, like you said, talking with, uh, um, talking with Clint, right? Is that who you said it was? Um, yeah. Uh-huh. You know, yeah. You, you see some of that stuff that you know is the cool thing to do right now. And part of you really wants to do it, but another part of you knows some of that will stick around. Certain elements of it will stick around, but the all or nothing, the extreme ends of the spectrum, um, it's a real, you know, that could be a fad, a real big fad that may stick around for a little while or it may be gone in a year. And we we try to steer clear of that. So I guess to bring that all the way back around to color grading, yeah, we don't do anything too heavy. We just like to keep it, you know, warm and bright um, and, and give it a little bit of a look with but with still keeping it pretty natural looking. I want to do the uh, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou color grading, but Sarah won't <laughs> yeah. let me. I think that's just really cool. Everything in sepia. Yeah, for sure. There's a lot to learn from that film, for sure, with when it comes to to wedding filmmaking. Yes, tons. <laughs> I love the whole scene with the with the engagement ring. On exactly. That's true. <laughs> yeah. So there is something in there about weddings. Yeah. <laughs> so with in terms of like knowing what's faddish when it comes to your edit. Is it just a gut feeling for you or do you have some sort of filter that you're kind of like, okay, you know, if it doesn't meet this criteria then, or what, what is it that lets you know that it's a fad? Because, you know, it could just be, you look at something like, oh, that looks awesome. Like it, you know, because it looks so cool, of course, this is going to be around forever. So what's kind of like, how do you decide what's a fad and what is like the new, uh, the the revolution or the 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 evolution of of filmmaking that's a tough question and i think this is going to be kind of a weird answer because sometimes it's not so much the thing in and of itself it's the amount that it's being used like Mm. right now i would call slow-mo in our industry a fad i don't think Mm -hmm. that means we do away with slow-mo um right you know, it's funny, Rick and I don't feel like we've been in this industry like forever, like we've been in it a major amount of time, but we've been in it long enough to know that when we first started, slow-mo was not cool. Like it was on its way out. You were so dated. You were so uncool if you use slow-mo at all. And now it's back with a vengeance and it's like, oh my gosh, it's the most amazing thing ever. And we use it occasionally. We'll use it in certain spots of our films and we have over the years. Admittedly, there was a chunk of time there where we hardly ever did. Um, but I would still have weddings where I'd be like, you know, I really feel like this particular part needs slow-mo. So in and of itself, it is a tool like anything else, like a slider, like a quadcopter, like anything. The problem comes when the industry overdoes it so much that that's, um, that that's all you're seeing. And there's no, um, you know, there's no real thought put into why you're using this here. Why? Why did you use 20 aerial shots when a when half of it was a parking lot filled with cars? Was that really a good shot? Or were you using it just because you've got a quadcopter right. now and it's the current fad? Why is right. a film 90% slow-mo when a certain shot really doesn't look good in slow-mo? 
Um, and, you know, popular movies are that way, too. I mean, go watch real movies. Almost every movie incorporates slow-mo somewhere. But they pick and choose. They pick the moments where they want to emphasize that. Um, so I think for me, it's just trying to not overdo anything. It's get a tool, but don't go crazy with it. Don't do too many aerial shots. Don't do a million cider shots. Don't do a million shots in slow-mo. Don't, don't overuse anything. Use it with reason. Use it with purpose. Um, color grading is a little different because that's not, you know, the amount you're using in a film. Um, but I think it would be how heavy the look is for me unless, and again, I say weddings and corporate are very different. Like, um, I think even when we did our last podcast with you, the, um, the current thing, the what's your thing right now, or what's your tip or whatever ours was, or what inspired you? We said we had just watched the movie Arrival and loved the cinematography and that loved the color grading in that. And it's very blue, very, um, very heavy color grading in that film, but it fits it. And most weddings don't have a mood or a setting that calls for a really heavy, dark, dramatic, solid blue, everything, you know, kind of coloring, unless you're like doing some very specific you know, like an elopement film in some exotic location that has a really specific feel to it. But I think sometimes we're taking these days that are these, you know, um, I don't like the word normal or average, but we're taking, you know, average wedding days and trying to put this really heavy grade on them that doesn't fit. So um, I think for me, that's just a matter of does it, so much of it comes back to does it have a purpose? Does it fit? Um you know, unless it's just a deal where you have a specific look you've established and you plan to stick with it forever. But I guess that too, there, that might be one of the other, um, I can't think of the, the word I'm looking for, but the things you use to decide. (laughs) Yeah, no, what I hear, what I hear you saying is have intention to everything that you do. Yes. You know, don't use a, a very dramatic color grade Unless it was a very dramatic story that you were telling, you know, don't use a, a blue color tone to it unless it was kind of a moody group of people getting yeah, married, you, like, know? you know, on an iceberg somewhere or something. If it, it fits the people or if it's the setting or yeah, if you're trying to do a winter wedding, maybe it makes a little bit more sense. Yeah. And we've done um, some things with, uh, we've gotten a little funky on, on a couple weddings because the couple was kind of funky, you know? They kind of fit their yeah. thing. I think you just kind of have to, you have to adapt your style to, you know, the, the, the feel of the day, the feel of the couple, you know, because we wouldn't get funky with every couple, but the one that, you know, we got funky with last year with uh, some different techniques and different ways of shooting, it fit them and it fit their personalities. So I think you got to keep that in mind too when you're making yeah. it. Though. And I would, I'd say, ask yourself, is whatever I'm doing, like if it's a look, if it's just an overall look to your films, has nothing to do with the couple, it's this is what I want my look to be. Is that a look you're willing to stick with for a while? Or are you doing it just because that's the look that's popular on Instagram right now? You know, because that's where it comes in. Are you doing it because it's trendy? Or are you doing it because it's you? Because if you want to sustain a business like this for 10 years, 20 years, if you're not just using it as a stepping stone to something else, um, Yes, you need to be able to adapt, but you also need to not be constantly just copying what's cool this year and the next year, or else you're not going to be consistent. 
and you're not right. going to have a consistent client base. Your client base is going to change every year. Someone's going to find you in a year and be like, oh, well, this looks so different than what you did last year because you're just trying to follow the trends as opposed to establishing your own aesthetic. Yep. yep. I actually have had early on um, in my career in this, I actually had a mom reach out and say, hey, I really like the stuff that I see at the top of your website. But when I keep scrolling down, it looks really different. Like, what am I going to get? You know, <laughs> so I've had that exact situation. And I think that that's, uh, you know, I, I learned a lot from that situation. Um, and that conversation that I had to have with that mother of the bride of really figuring out what is me? You know, what is it that I want my films to feel like? Um, and I think that that is that has been incredibly important, and it has stayed much more consistent since then, in terms of the overall feel. Sure, there's been things that have shifted. You know, like like you mentioned a few things. You know, I got a quadcopter, and I stopped using a slider, and you know some of these things like that that have shifted. Um, but it's the overall feel. the The color grade has stayed basically the same, and and the feel and the tone and the style of storytelling, all that has stayed the same. And so now if someone is, you know, if someone finds me, they know what they're going to get. Um, and I think that's really important. So awesome. Okay. So I think one thing that really stands out in y'all's work is y'all's use of audio and how on a consistent basis it sounds great so one of the bigger you know i feel like uh with with photos there's like a ton of latitude like if you screw something up in a still photo if you shot it in raw and you have a high resolution image you can fix it you know you can fix the composition of it you can fix the exposure um if you do something in video it's a little bit less forgiving, maybe more forgiving if you're shooting in 4K and, you know, delivering in 1080. Um, but, uh, you know, much less forgiving in terms of exposure. But then when it comes to audio, there's very little forgiveness. And so talk to me about when you do have some audio that's not perfect, what are you doing in the edit to make sure that it still sounds good? We use a few different programs. Um, we run everything through sound soap to clean it up just to okay. take out any hum hiss. And I mean, even audio that comes through a board that sounds good. Trust me, you run it through sound soap. You can make it sound better. Um, mm. we also use isotope RX. That's more, uh, if I've got something that I am having a harder time tackling the cleanup cause it's got some more tools within it. Um, a declipper that's great if you get audio that is ever just a little hot, a little overmodulated. It, it's not going to work a miracle. I mean, if you've got something that just is absolutely clipping throughout, but if you've got something that peaks a few times, um, it just has some hot spots, it can really save that. Um, so there's a lot of tools within Isotope that can really help clean up audio. And then the other thing we do, which I luckily I haven't had to do this lately much, but within um, Audition, within Adobe Audition, the auto heal feature um, can work wonders if you've got like photographer camera click in the background or something on a certain moment that you just want to take that one little noise out. 
Um, right. You go into the waveform, just highlight, you know, that one little peak. You can actually, you know, visually see where the, the click is. Hit auto right. heal. And as long as your audio source to begin with was good enough that it's not like you're competing. It's not like the camera click was close to you and the person you're trying to hear was far away, you know. If you've got decent audio and you've just got that little click you want to take out, it can do a lot for removing clicks from certain moments, like a letter reading or um, just a real emotional moment if you're like, man, that click just ruins it. So we do clean up everything um, in post. And then we do a lot of trimming, too, a lot of editing, a lot of cutting up, um, cutting up sound bites. We've had people say to us, you know, you guys just... You, you seem to always have the most well-spoken people. Like, everyone's so concise in how they talk. The way they say things is just perfect. I'm like, well, you know, yeah, I mean, we do have plenty of well-spoken people, too. But they're not all that way. Not everyone gets everything out perfectly. We just edit the heck out of it and, and cover yeah. the cuts with B-roll. Right. And I think a big uh, thing that we do well is, is we capture the audio as cleanly as possible, too. Um, getting it right right in your recorder is good making sure that things are turned off in a room that may be making noise during you know stories or letters or anything like that and we're really um have lots of backups like we'll mic everybody but also we'll get a feed from somebody we'll put a microphone in front of a speaker to make sure that you know we're getting several different uh audio sources just to make sure that you know, if something goes wrong with one of them, we still have it from somewhere else and can able to uh, be able to make it work. So I think, you know, capturing the audio as it's coming in at, at, at a good quality is, is a big key, too. And it's funny, we still haven't gone the splitter route, which I know so many people do. And we've talked about it a million times. And, and so far, um, our system really has worked great. But there have definitely been times where I've contemplated going the splitter route just to always have that that guaranteed um, you know, no issues with the DJ or the band doing something wrong that screws up the feed. And we, we typically get our feed straight out of the back of their speaker. If it is a speaker, you know, with a pass through or with an out on it, um, that way there's no concern over the, you know, they're doing something wrong on the board that screws up the sound we're getting. Um, but we have talked about going the splitter route as well. Just so you have that, you know, that one more level of guarantee or peace of mind that you're getting great audio but yeah we we record several sources have several backups don't you do the split around george yeah i've got one right here with me actually it's the uh i don't know if i can pull it onto the screen or not here we go the whirlwind uh, it's a one by six so you do one input and then it's got six outputs um which you know normally you only use two or three but um, it's nice to have the option. So I think it's like a um, hundred bucks, maybe something like that. So not too bad. 150 maybe. But uh, to me, worth its weight in gold for sure. Because sometimes you just get that, you know, that DJ who is going to limit you in a lot of things that you can do when it comes to the toast audio. You know, it's really hit or miss when it comes to the toast audio. Because it really just depends on a how good the DJ is, and how b how good his equipment is, and c if he's willing to work with you or not. You know, sometimes you have DJs who just they you know in advance they know that they hate all videographers, 
and they are going to be a jerk to you. And most of the time, thankfully, I don't work with those people. Most of the time, you know, I have people who are very nice and realize that this is all a team effort, but sometimes you get those people and, you know, you got to figure out a solution. So the splitter is a really nice option. I have had even once where a DJ was like, nope, you're not plugging that into my... I was going to ask if you've ever gotten pushback on that. Yeah. uh, You know, when I just had like a Y splitter, I had a little bit more like uh, I had once or twice where I had that issue. Um, Since I've brought the whirlwind, it, you know, it feels and looks and is a lot more professional. And so I've had less issues with that. But, um, you know, I'm sure I'm going to run into somebody who's going to see this, uh, this whirlwind splitter and say, get out of here. So, you know, we'll just deal with it. Uh, How we can't usually like when I deal with somebody like that, I am a little bit, um, I push back hard. <laughs> um, I try to be nice, but I do push back hard because I realize that it's very important uh, to the bride and groom. You know, they spent a lot of money on this and I'm going to do everything I can to make sure that it sounds great. And it helps that I know that like, I'm not getting references from DJ. Nobody's, no brides are asking their DJ who they should hire for their videographer. So, um, so I don't have to worry about the referrals on that end. <laughs> Yeah. Awesome. So we are coming up on the hour here. So I want to move into hearing what your pick of the week is. All right. We know that that it might be like totally talking toys, which we usually don't. But we did finally switch from Phantom to the Mavic. Um, ah. And we, so we travel a lot. Like this year, I think 60% of our weddings are out of state. Only have one wedding in the city where we live. Um, wow! And so the the size of the Mavic has been very nice. This wonderful yeah. little, you know, I think uh, Rick took it in with him to the restaurant the other day when we met up with y'all in Austin, and someone made the comment, "Is that your man purse?" Or oh no, well, we saw it was when we saw Matt. Yeah, we we Matt got together. With it a, does look like a man purse. Yeah, he's like nice man purse. We're like, it's the Mavic. I know um, Scott Scrimple has uh, put the fear of God in me about leaving him. Uh, a drone with charged batteries out in the car during a hot day. So uh, I always bring it in. And it's much easier to bring this little bag in than the big backpack that I had for the the Phantom 3. So that's really, really cool. But it's, I mean, it's so great too in terms of, it's easy to carry around through the wedding day and set up quickly if need be. And here, show, I mean, I'm sure plenty of people have seen it, but you don't have to take it out just to show how it fits in there. This teeny little, you know. Yeah. It's just. That's awesome. The portability of it. Um. Is. And you guys were telling me at brunch the other day that that is, it's like way quieter too, yeah. right? Super it's not quiet. as loud as the Phantom. Um, I mean, you're still going to hear it unless you've got, you know, music going on in the background or some other source of noise around you. But it's definitely doesn't make as much, as much noise as the Phantom. And just the um, setup, the setup time is cut in half probably mm-hmm. because you don't have to put yep. the blades on, you know, and the remote control. You know, just fits right into your phone. You don't have to worry about getting the wire out and hooking it up. And, okay. You know, we did a we did some fly um, flying near the um, reception or the welcome party uh, for the wedding this last weekend, and I think it was up within a minute of us going, "Okay, let's fly it wow. and get this shot of everybody on the lawn." So, I mean, you guys are tempting so me. Quick. 
I'm telling you, it's I, we we held off at first. It wasn't at first. I didn't want to do it because I was worried about the image quality. I wasn't sure. I knew, even though it, I had heard it was on par with the fa- all the levels of Phantom Three or better than some of them, but on par with the Phantom Three Pro, uh, on par with the Phantom Four as well. But that the Phantom Four Pro was better uh, image right. wise, and so at first I was really um, leaning toward getting a Phantom 4 Pro if we were going to upgrade. And then when we had our first wedding film retreat and Scott uh, Strinkle brought his Mavic and we saw some of the footage from it, heard how quiet it was compared to the Phantom, that was a big selling point. I was like, yeah. okay, that's worth it. If, you, if you're someone who shoots at home a lot, you don't travel much, um, and maybe you do more corporate work, then I would say go for the Phantom 4 Pro or even, well, if you have the money, go for an Inspire. Um, the new one, if you're doing a ton of corporate work and aerials are like a big part of your income. But right. for us, where it's a few shots in a wedding film, typically, um, it's something right. that's just nice to set the scene and we're traveling a lot and it is mostly weddings versus corporate work. It ended up being a no brainer for the portability of it, for how quiet it is compared to the Phantom. Yeah. Um, I lean toward getting them all. I mean, that's my objective. That's that's my thought yeah. is, uh, you know, I have the yourself. Phantom 4 Pro. Why well, choose, you know, get them all. Yeah, you could definitely have both or all three. Yeah. You know, I, I might even need like a 3D robotic something <laughs> or another. I don't even know what they have to offer, but I know they sell drones. Yeah. Might as well get one of those. You, know, you could have drone parties at your own house, you know, just fly around. You, I mean, every guy needs a fleet of drones. Exactly. You need a beer so. from the fridge. Just have the drone go get it. Exactly. Now that's a trick. You know, we really need to get DJI on that. Actually, that sounds more like a 3D robotics thing, I think. 3D robotics. That could be their niche, is that they have drones that go get your drinks for you. you I like that idea. Cut that part out so no one else does it. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's our new idea. Shark Tank, here we come. Yeah. Yes. Awesome. Well, I'm going to do my pick of the week. I'm going to hold it up here. This is my Tenba DNA 10. I also have the DNA 15, um, but the 10 is my bag. I give the 15 to my assistant because it's bigger and it can hold more stuff. But I like the smaller, lighter one so that uh, I don't hurt my back. But that's one of the great things about shooting with a mirrorless system, in particular a micro four-thirds system, is the lenses are also small. Like in that little bag, I can fit so much stuff. It's It's crazy. Like... I went to a shoot the other day. I was actually doing a photo shoot and I fit two speed lights, two flagship camera bodies, a equivalent to an 80 to 300 mil 28 and a uh, three other three or four other lenses in there and the re- remote trigger for the for the speed lights um, and a bunch of other stuff, you know, and it's a tiny little bag. It's like, it doesn't even fit a 13 inch computer in it. Like it will only fit like an iPad mini. So it's, it's really small, but if you're using a small camera system, particularly like, you know, if you're using Panasonic, you know, if you're using Sony too, you can probably pull this off a little bit less because the lenses are still big, but the Tenba DNA is kind of like the, the, the 10 is kind of like the perfect size for that. Or if you're using a bigger camera system and you're just not carrying a lot of stuff with you, um, then that's definitely a great, great option. And it looks nice. It's kind of black and charcoal. So it kind of looks nice on a wedding day. Um, so that's why I got the, the 10 DNAs. Oh, also 
One other really cool feature of this bag. So check it out, it has the Velcro, like it, it's loud, right? But if you pull down and out, it's quiet. <laughs> so it's like made for wedding, it's like this special secret Velcro <laughs> that is made for wedding and event people. So yeah, pretty awesome bag. I'm telling you, I'm I'm uh I'm a little bit, you know, I think a lot of people out there, especially a lot of guys, are gonna like complain about their wives having a lot of purses. But then when you get into photo and video, then you end up having as many bags as your wife, you know. So I am guilty of that. Although I've I've given a few away to my team and to some other people who I like and <laughs> that I don't use as much. So I'm getting a little bit better. I think I only have like I think I only have like six camera bags now, so <laughs> I'm paring down. I, I use my uh, camera bag until everything starts falling out of it. And I'm like, okay, I better get a new bag. It's mm-hmm. mine's worn out now. So yeah, well, this one's tough. So next time around, check out the Timba DNA series. They make some awesome stuff, and it's like in three colors or something. They should totally sponsor this show. Should, totally. Nice. Yes. I'm like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, it's been awesome having you guys on. If you've been living under a rock and you don't know the Pendergraphs, where can they go to check you guys out and see your work? Penweddings.com. That's just like a pen you write with. P-E-N weddings.com. We're actually doing a site redesign right now. So so wait, oh. to, <laughs> wait a couple weeks. Wait a couple weeks until we have a better website. We haven't redone our website since 2011. We're like, dang, it's time. Um, but yeah, penweddings.com. And then of course we're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. It's pretty much pen weddings everywhere. So check those out and, um, follow wedding film retreat too. We're working on plans for 2018. So I was going to ask about that. Yep. So hopefully we'll be announcing some stuff, uh, coming up fairly soon. I say soon. In the grand scheme of awesome. things, not like in two days. But, um, well, I know people are going to be glad to hear that you are going to continue that on because I've talked to a few people who are part of it and they said it was just spectacular. And so I'm I'm jealous and hopefully I'll get to attend one of these in the near future because that would, be, that would blast, be fantastic. Yeah. We loved them, yeah. We definitely want to keep doing it. They may, they may be tweaked. The form uh, may, may be molded and tweaked a little bit. Um, but yeah, the, the biggest feedback we got was that people loved it, that it was a getaway associated with it. Um, they loved that it was small group. And um, one of the biggest requests we got was actually that it be longer. So while we may mm. not do as many every year, um, it might be something where there's just one, maybe two, but we were saying just one a year, but um, a little bit longer and potentially somewhere, uh, somewhere nice and tropical or something like that. That is We've not nailed down location yet, so so we don't want to totally put that out there. I like the sound of that. But yeah, so go ahead and get your passports now. Yes, (laughs) yeah, get your passports. We we have (laughs) we've looked at places like you know U.S. Virgin Islands, trying to make it so people don't have to get passports. But we're like, yeah, yeah, passports ready. So it it may uh, evolve into even more of a getaway, be something a little bit longer. Uh, We know, and that was something we looked at when we did it the first time. and we just had enough requests from people like, if it's closer to home, I'll have a better chance of attending. So we were trying to, you know, make it more accessible for people. Um, but I think what we found was, first off, a lot of people flew in anyway. Like a lot of people even went to one that wasn't the closest to home because they mm. wanted to get away. Um, yeah. But I think the biggest thing we learned was many of the people who requested like 
I want it to be easier to attend. I don't want to have to fly. I don't want it to cost so much. That those people were really a lot of them were really looking for something more like those, you know, the multi-city tours that you've seen, like Ray Roman and Adam Torgion and a lot of people do, where you hit like 20, 30 cities, you know, you're in a hotel meeting room for a day and a half, um, where it's not the event that we tried to create, so it's a lot more cost-effective, and even with what we did, hitting six different locations and making it just a couple days, I still think that put it out of the realm of, I guess, budget doability. Is that a word? Sure. For the people yeah. who were wanting something closer to home and were like, well, you know, you're kind of kind of like in the world of weddings. It's easier to either be mass production or boutique style. Living in that middle ground is pretty hard. Um, right. And even though the events ended up being great, I think we realized we really do need to just make it one or the other. It either needs to be small workshop, hit a ton of cities, not make it a full-on event, or make it a full-on event, and let's just go ahead and make it longer and go somewhere. And, um, you know, hopefully if someone can't make it right away, they can save up and make it the next year. But, yeah, the the small group getaway ended up proving to be a really great experience in terms of getting to know people, sitting around the campfire talking. Um, Mm -hmm. So I think that's what we're leaning for. Yeah, we built so many cool relationships with with new people and with the attendees that we had that uh, I I didn't expect – I didn't expect it to that extreme. I knew we would meet new people, but you know, now we have people that we talk to on Facebook. It's like, Hey man, how's, how are things going? And that kind of thing. And you have that, you know, a little bit more relationship wise than you do on the Facebook forums, you know, to be able to talk, you know, now that you know yep. the person, you've met them face to face, you've sat down, you've had dinner with them. You've, you've hung out by the bonfire with them, you know, and, and, and really got to know each other. Uh, it's easier yeah. to talk and, and share ideas. I think that's invaluable. So, you know, as you guys get more concrete plans, keep me in the loop and we'll have you guys back on so you can tell our listeners more about that because definitely want to make sure that that's a a good opportunity for our listeners. So awesome. Sounds great. Cool. Well, thanks again for coming on. This has been spectacular guys. Thanks Jordan. Thanks for asking. Great to see you again. It's only been a couple days. (laughs) That's right. Yeah. All right. Take care. The Wedding Film Academy podcast is produced by Taylor Juarez. If you found this episode helpful, be sure to subscribe so you never miss a show and help us out by leaving a five-star review on iTunes. And when you're done, head on over to WeddingFilmAcademy.org to chat with our other wedding filmmakers like yourself in the comments section. Until next time, keep making movie magic.